Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 29 as we continue our occasional study in this wonderful book. The most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament are the Psalms. And that shows what our Lord Jesus and the apostles thought of them. Psalm 29. The inscription has a Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Let us pray together. Our great God, it's our desire to worship you, to embrace and imbibe the mind of the text, the mind of David, to give glory to you, to hear and see your voice and your activities in the world, that we would see you as exalted. Father, may you stir up our hearts to fervent worship, that we would have great faith, that you would even come down and reveal yourself in a mighty way, in a special way, and that we, your people, would exalt you. May you get all the honor and the glory. In this message, help your servant, help all of us, your servants, to worship you well, to do better, to give you more glory. And may that moniker be on our lips all the time, that we would live and breathe for your glory. We thank you for your goodness to us through our Lord Jesus. Amen. When you think of God, what do you think of? Do you have high thoughts of him? Do you take time in the morning, at midday, in the evening, and spend some time thinking about what he is like? And the Bible, of course, is the revelation of God. And we learn who God is from the scripture. And the Psalms are loaded with theology, what we believe about God And it's our desire as we read the scripture to know God 
And we can, through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing and privilege that we can know God and to worship Him. Psalm 29 is a springboard for our worship. Many psalms cry out, have mercy upon me, help me, rescue me from my enemies. This one is is almost all Godward. David is looking up and exalting God. And I trust that you believe, as I do, that the worship began in that quiet time at the beginning, and we prayed, and we sang, and we collected offerings, and now we're seeking to open up God's Word, to preach His Word, to listen, and our worship continues. So let our hearts be stirred, brothers and sisters, to worship God. We're not only here to fill out the lessons. Children, I encourage you to do it. I make those notes to help you to think about God. Even you little children can worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have thought, well, Brett, we've heard a lot about the worship of God. We've heard great preachers. We've read books on worship And that's wonderful, but do not grow tired of repetition. The Bible is full of repetition. So let us, again, stir our hearts to this theme again of the worship of our God. And I've called and entitled this message, Behold the Lord of Glory. Behold, look at Him, the Lord of Glory. And as we were singing, I couldn't help but notice in that great hymn, Be thou my vision, those words, thou my best thought. Thou my best thought. Brothers and sisters, is that not our desire, that our best thought, our our highest thoughts would be of God? Yes, now in the corporate worship, but through the week that our thoughts of Him would be so high and elevated. And when people come into our assembly May they see and may we all know that we are drawing near to think about, to worship our great God with joy and even trembling. It's that serious and that's what the Bible does, elevates our thoughts to worship our great God. Now this psalm, as we read, has a lot of repetition. Hebrew poetry and poetry in general likes repetition We heard in those few 11 verses, many things repeated. And it's fascinating, and there is so much here. Uh, One author calls it insistent repetitions, repeating it. Sometimes we do that when we teach. When we teach children especially, we repeat and we repeat. And the kids say, or even if you're in college, you say, I've heard that before. But repetition helps us to remember and get it. And this psalm, like many others, is full of repetition, insistent repetition. There's also parallels in Psalm 96 you could read later. We hear very similar phrases repeated. But you could outline this psalm in four parts. Verses 1 and 2, worship the Lord of glory. Verses 3 through 9, the Lord's voice is glorious. Verse 10, the Lord is king forever. And verse 11, a benediction, the Lord's blessing on his people. This passionate lover of God, David, calls us, and he begins by calling angels, verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, 
or Yahweh, Jehovah, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, or in your column, the plural, the sons of gods, often used of God in this way, but these creatures ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe, three times he says, ascribe, 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 or give, 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 or credit, or attribute. It's the opposite of deny. We must give, along with these creatures, give something to God. We must accredit and attribute something to God. The Lord, or Yahweh, is mentioned 18 times in 11 verses. Wow, that may be a record by percentage. 18 times he is so focused on the Lord, he doesn't mention himself Maybe at the end there is a conclusion in this benediction, but he is so focused on God. And sometimes, and some psalms, and some worship services, and some of your own devotions might be a time where all you do is focus on the Lord of glory. Focus on him at times is what we need to do. And he calls out to these sons of the mighty. Other translations have heavenly beings. Or, O ye mighty, the King James. Or Psalm 148.2, praise him, all his angels. The psalmist, and David in particular, often cries out for everything to praise the name of the Lord. And here he begins by calling the angelic hosts and us by implication to ascribe this glory and strength to God. Credit the Lord with glory and strength. This glory or kabod, we know Ichabod, the glory departed, but kabod is four times in our psalm, one of the themes. You could also translate it honor. So when you ascribe glory, you ascribe honor to God. Or abundance. When we worship God, we see, as we read in Isaiah, that he is so magnificent, that he is so exalted, that he is full of all abundance, that we must ascribe it to him. The angels in heaven that are without sin ascribe this glory, this honor and strength to him. Should not we, here on earth, save sinners? Not only glory, but strength, might, power, like a fortress or a stronghold. That's what God is like. So we ascribe these attributes to Him. He is glorious. He is strong, a fortress. Psalm 28, 7 said, The Lord is my strength. And if you caught it at the end, there are these two bookends. The Lord is Strength, if you will. And then at the end, verse 11, the Lord will give strength. These two beautiful bookends. The God of strength will give strength to his people. Isn't he worthy to be worshipped and exalted? Well, lesson one of ten. Giving glory to God must be a central part of our lives. Giving glory to God must be a central part of our lives. You could go through our hymnal, and I would imagine it's more than 50% of those hymns mention 
give glory to God. We sang it in one of our songs today. Glory be to the Lord. We have many traditional uh, hymns that refer to the glory of God or the glory of the triune God. Think of some scriptures. The Father of glory. Or the glory of Christ. The Spirit of glory. The Father is glorious. The Son is glorious. And the Spirit is glorious. There's a reason we love the uh, fifth sola, sola deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. We live in the context of giving glory to God. He is all glorious. In heaven they're saying glory to God. And on earth we're saying the same. Do we live in that context as we ought? We get distracted with with our infirmities, with our afflictions, that sometimes the glory of the glory of God may get eclipsed. We should pause and reflect how glorious he is and David caused the angels and us to live every day all through the day giving glory to God. It must define us. Does it not? Doesn't your heart cry out, "Yes, Lord, you are glorious." He is so exalted that we cry out glory. He continues his song on this theme coming to verse 2. Again, another ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name or of his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. His name, as we've been reminded many times, refers to who he is. And his name is... It is called your glorious name. It's more than letters or syllables. And I was amazed when I looked at the Jewish translation of the Old Testament. And they do not even mention the name of God. They're afraid to say Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord. They have the name. And it's interesting to me and and sad that that they wouldn't be able to say the name of their God when God declared his name many times. So we, in this new covenant position, we know God and his name reveals who he is. I thought of Moses when he said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my name pass by. And he declared his glory and he gave that beautiful formula about himself What he is like. Lesson two. When the Lord's glory is seen, the best response is holy worship. When the Lord's glory is seen, the best response is holy worship. Worship means to bow down, to prostate yourself in sincerity. We don't have to kneel, but... Maybe it would be good if we did kneel, even on occasion, or I appreciate some churches have that kneeling bench. And maybe at times at home, you get down in your prayer closet and you kneel literally before the Lord. You can be sitting here and your heart is kneeling, which is a minimum. But sometimes there's even this physical bowing down. We spoke this morning in Sunday school about pagans who who kneel down. Think of all the false religions that lay on their face. Have you got down on your face ever before your God? The false religions do it to false gods. 
It's primarily in the heart, but sometimes we say, let us bow our heads. We fold our hands. We have a position of contrition before the Lord. It may be sitting in quietness. It may just, we're not lounging back, laying at the beach. We're worshiping our God. There is a a seriousness and a sweetness. So when you see his glory, have this holy worship. Psalm 95, 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's the same word there, worship. Even the English word, worthy plus, plus, excuse me, ship. Worthy plus ship. Attributing worth to God. When we gather to worship, we we bow our hearts and we attribute something, and that something is glory be to God. And we should be consumed with this as we behold His glory, worship Him. Martin Rinkhart, the great hymn writer, said, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. We worship God with all of our being with our heart and our hands and our voices to gather with God's people on the Lord's day is to do nothing less than to worship God from our whole being. Let us, Pilgrim Bible Church, excel still the more that we would be worshipers of God because we've seen His glory. We read it from Isaiah. We read it in the Psalms. We see it in the Gospels of our Lord Jesus revealing himself in the epistles, speaking of the glory of Christ, we of all people ought to be loaded with this awe and worship of our God. With heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done. We have a lot to worship him for and with. And he, excuse me, David uses the phrase, worship him in holy array or consecrated or sacred clothing. Now, it's interesting. He's not speaking to the priest here. He's speaking to the angels. So it's something more than our Sunday best, which is is a misnomer in, in one sense. But we come with our hearts in holy hearts, sanctified minds, alert I trust having slept well Saturday night, God willing, you had a good night's sleep and you come fresh and we give our all to worship God. Isn't it one of the chief delights of your week? Doesn't it carry you through some of the hard days when you remember the hymns that we were singing and how exalted God is and how he cared for Joseph and the Israelites in Genesis, how we're seeing in the Gospels the instruction from our Lord. We have not only the present worship that is a delight, but even the after effects and the ongoing walking before the face of God, even a life of worship in holy attire. And for us, primarily, that's being in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. So again, how is your worship? How are you right now? Are your thoughts on Psalm 29 and the glory of God or on something else? I hope you're with me and we are exalting God together and reveling in His glory. In holy attire. 
Even you children can worship God. Worship Him, exalt Him, because He is glorious. Or, is it past due? Do you owe Him something? Are you late and delayed in your worship? Well, start right now. Worship God now through Christ. He is worthy of your worship. Isn't your heart stirred, brothers and sisters? Because we have so much to worship Him about. Life is difficult. There's so many trials and grief in this world. But our God is on His throne. Yes. Glory be to God. Well, He moves into these seven descriptions of the voice of the Lord. Seven descriptions. The repetition is in our face. Spurgeon says, These verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. Our brother had a way with words, but he gets it. That this song and this praise is marching with the thunderbolts of God. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. It's a figure of speech, the voice, a synecdoche, a part for the whole. And he's going to use all of these scientific disciplines. I listed them out from oceanography to meteorology to dendrology, the study of trees, geography, zoology, history, all of these comparisons to illustrate and to show the magnitude of God's glory. The magnitude. They speak of the magnitude of an earthquake. Well, we need a a Richter scale for God. He's off the charts. Again, We're we're building from Psalm 29 and other passages a theology of the God of glory. Our God. So lesson three, brothers and sisters, all of the studies in the world should be used to reflect the glory of God. Thinking of these many descriptions of science and the natural world, all of the studies in the world should be used to reflect the glory of God. And we may have mentioned it before. Maybe you're familiar with it. The Cavendish Laboratory in England, part of Cambridge, in the physics department, there was an inscription over the door. In 1874, this professor said, I want to have the the beautiful, uh, excuse me, psalm, that great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all those who delight in them. And, And he got it. Over the door, well, they moved into new buildings over the the century and years following. And in 1973, a young student, Ph.D. student, Andrew Briggs, said, Hey, we need to get that inscription put over the new door. By the way, the old one was in Latin, and he wanted it in English. English, excuse me. So they agreed. In 1973, he couldn't believe it, nor can I, that... At that laboratory in Cambridge, there is God's Word displayed over the physics department. And I use that to illustrate that all of the studies in the world should be used to reflect the glory of God. And this professor, he's an Anglican, he's still speaking about science and religion. I'm not sure fully about him, but I did read and listen to a little bit, and he said... 
The world has windows by which we view the transcendent God. When we look out over the Puget Sound, we say, wow, that's beautiful. We love Stillicum. It's so gorgeous. But we look through that window to see that God made the waters. That God has the fish there and the crabs and the creatures and the squid. He controls it all. And he is glorious. So whatever you're studying, whatever work you do, let it tend to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul told us in Corinthians. Again, soli deo gloria. So God made the waters, Genesis 1. His voice here is upon and over the waters, causing thunder and later hurricanes, excuse me, lightning, hurricanes, tides. And we read it in Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the waters of the earth. The earth is mostly water. We, we look at, and we are amazed at the ocean if you go to the coast or these bays and harbors. All the water in the world is just in the palm of his hand. He is exalted. And he says, the God of glory thunders. Thunders, the God of abundance. There's this abundance of thundering. And I looked it up. A typical thunder clap is 120 decibels, which is 10 times louder than a jackhammer. We don't get a lot of lightning and thunder here in the Puget Sound. I'm from Pennsylvania originally, and we had thunder boomers, they called them. And if you've been in central Washington or other places, or if you've ever been in a thunder and lightning storm, you know what I'm talking about. It can be amazing and even terrifying. The God of glory thunders. Do we view God in that way? I think, as one said, we've domesticated God sometimes. We've reduced him to the man upstairs. We need a dose, brothers and sisters, and even our country, America, the God of glory thunders. See that thunder, hear it in your mind's eye, and get a glimpse of the glory of God. Verse 4, observe and take note again. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. He is powerful, mighty, forceful. Consider his ability, his voice. Ezekiel 12.25 says, For I, the Lord, will speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. And many other verses like that, when God says something, it will happen. Because he is powerful and mighty. But he's also majestic. Majestic. He has this honor, this splendor, this beautiful array. Kidner called it his towering majesty. Again, do we think of God in this way? In his towering majesty. Lesson four, behold the magnitude and majesty of the Lord. Behold it, brothers and sisters. Look at it, listen to it, see it, and worship him in his magnitude, in his majesty. That is our Lord. Think of an array. I I thought of 
if you've ever been to a military uh, graduation or some big event where many companies or battalions are marching and they're all in uniform, they're all going their correct direction, it's an arrayed force. It's amazing. It's majestic. Or maybe you've seen those flocks of starlings in the thousands and they're just moving across the sky and they are organized. They're not running into each other. They are majestic. And of course, behind anything like that, we see the power and majesty of God. It's from the microscopic to the magnificent. See the power and majesty of God. There's an old CD cassette tape that I used to listen to, The Majesty and Glory. I love that because it took my mind to a beautiful place where I could meditate on the majesty and glory of God. And we, again, get depressed or downtrodden or discouraged because sometimes we're not spending time meditating and worshiping the God of glory. It's easy to think, Oh, our church is small. Oh, so-and-so didn't do this for me. Oh, why is this? It's not about that. It's about the glory of God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about His glory. And we get our minds off of ourselves and our puniness compared to God. It gives us a different perspective. We heard about Patton who said, I'm immortal till He takes me. When we're consumed... With God and looking to Him, our whole perspective changes on life. If we live this life of worship and glorifying God. David continues, observe and take note. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. His voice is so powerful that He snaps those cedars with His breath. And the cedars in that region were the hardest wood they had. And you read about Solomon when he built the temple. He had a deal to get all those cedar beams from Lebanon. It's all through our Bible, the cedars of Lebanon. You might think, well, they haven't been out here to the P&W. We have lots of, uh, of hardwoods and so forth. But for them, that was the hardest wood. Maybe you think of a wood called ironwood. There are many species of it. If you're a woodworker, it's extremely hard. Well, this was their ironwood. And what did God do to it? He snapped it. He broke it into pieces. Twice, he breaks them. He demolishes them. He destroys them. He smashes them. He shatters them. And it's even like birth pangs. It is that sudden and shocking that he just snaps them like toothpicks. Who can fix what God has broken? What God has snapped, who can put it back together? And here, Lebanon, these massive forests were just broken. In Isaiah forty sixteen, we read, even Lebanon is not enough to burn. All the forests that they had, and I'm sure they were vast, if Solomon had boatloads, excuse me, cartloads and cartloads of those coming to to. Israel to build the temple and other things, there were massive cedar forests, but to God, they were nothing. And there was not even enough wood to be burned to make offerings to God. So lesson five, stand amazed 
all the forests of the world could be obliterated by the voice of the Lord, by the breath of the Lord. And, and we love forests. Everyone's moving away from Washington. I love it here. It's beautiful. It's glorious. We, we look at those forests. You can drive 15 minutes and you're into a deep forest. It's splendid. It's grand. But all the forests in the world could be extinguished in a second if God was pleased to do so. Hard wood is soft wood in God's hands. He can destroy it if he pleases and he would break these cedars of Lebanon. Nothing can stop him. Again, do we think of him in this way? He is unstoppable. Do we worship him in this way? Do we say, Lord, you are so mighty. You can do whatever you want. You can break it down. You can build it up. Whatever you please. Because you are powerful. You are mighty. You are majestic. You are the breaker. We speak of the breakers in the ocean coming in and eroding away the earth. Well, when God is pleased to do so, he can break anything. And mankind thought has thought for millennia that they can make something unbreakable. Where is it today? It's broken. Because this is a finite world, but God is infinite. More about Lebanon, verse 6. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read this song many times, but I was scratching my head for a bit. I was wondering, what is this talking about? He makes Lebanon, a country, skip like a calf? Well, we're familiar with Lebanon as a country, and Syrian is the Canaanite name for Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, we've spoke about it before, and which was a center of Baal worship, a symbol of strength and snow-capped almost year-round, uh, 48 miles south of Damascus, east of Lebanon. It's, it's smaller than Mount Rainier, but bigger than Mount Hood, so it's a significant mountain, and people can ski there and so forth. But God made this country, Lebanon, skip like a calf, and and Mount Hermon, or Syrian, skip like a young wild ox. Skip, or frolic. If you startle a calf, probably start, if you gave it a little swat on the rear, that thing would start jumping around. If you make a loud sound, it would jump. And the same with a young wild ox. Well, similarly, when God chooses to startle a nation, he can make it skip like an animal. He can make it jump in fear. He can make a mountain leap. Psalm 114 says it this way, What ails you, O mountains, that you skip like rams? Or hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. Because he is so majestic and so powerful that he makes nations skip like calves, and mountains jump like a scared beast. Lesson six, before the Lord of glory, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. That's why I asked John to read Isaiah 40. What an amazing chapter in the Bible about the glory of God. And we see it here in Psalm 29, making nations act like beasts, scared beasts. 
not the strength of an ox, but running terrified from a glance of God. Behold, the Lord of glory, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. He raises up one and he puts down another. Just study history a little bit. Where are the great nations of the past? Woe unto any nation that thinks it could not be obliterated, including our own. We're not untouchable. God could bring us to our knees and make us skip like a calf. He could obliterate Mount Rainier as he did Mount St. Helens, or worse, flatten an entire realm. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing. How do you do that? Less than nothing? And meaningless or void. I saw it when John read it. The word void or meaningless is used twice. Because compared to God, everything else is meaningless. It's vanity. It's a puff of air. And again, let's get a vision of God whose voice and his person is so exalted that everything else is just meaningless and void. That's why we can't cling to this earth so tightly. As we were reminded in Sunday school, the the, the money and the things, ultimately they're nothing. Our homes, our retirement accounts, our degrees, relative to God, they're, they're small, they're petty. He is on his throne, exalted. Stand amazed and worship him, brothers and sisters. He is worthy of your worship. Verse 7, observe and take note. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. Hewing is cutting or chopping. Maybe you have an axe and you're chopping wood or you're a blacksmith and you're having a hammer. You heat it up metal and you're hitting it and the sparks are flying up. Well, that's what God does. But do you see what he does it with? Flames of fire or lightning. God dispenses fire and lightning with a word, with his might. He's cutting out bolts of lightning. Who can direct fire or lightning? Only God. Beloved Pastor Brian used to quote Psalm 148, which is our seventh lesson. Praise the Lord, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling Its destiny? No, His Word. All of nature, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind, fulfill His Word. He holds everything in the palm of His hand with a thought, with a word from God. He can do what He will. It keeps us in our place of humility before Him. He is that exalted. So, Praise him, fire, because he cuts it in pieces. He's that powerful. When you see a bolt of lightning, think of God's glory. Did you know that a typical flash of lightning is 300 million volts? I didn't know that. One flash, a typical flash of lightning is 300 million volts. And how many volts run through your home? Even I know this, 120 300 million in just one bolt. How many bolts of lightning are striking the earth right now? 
or through history. When you see that, reflect back worship to God, glory to God. His voice cuts out the lightning, the fire. He is exalted. Praise Him. Verse 8, observe and take note. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. We know about the wilderness areas in Israel. Kadesh is in southern Palestine. I looked at some pictures at least today. It looks a bit like central Washington, Daroga State Park. Those hills and some water flowing through. But it's fairly rugged in these hills. He shakes it. He shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. He shakes it to its roots. Maybe it's an earthquake or it could be a tornado because this word shakes, it could mean quakes, but it also means to whirl. Whirling like a a whirlwind, maybe a tornado. Or again, writhing like a woman in birth. He can do whatever he pleases with the wilderness. He shakes it. Because the earth is the Lord and all it contains. Psalm 24, 1. Or as our brother William Cooper said, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. That's our God. Put to poetry. Put to Psalm 29 that these, this shaking of the wilderness is from God. He is able to do what he pleases with his creation. So worship him. Bow before his majesty. Bow before the majesty of God. Observe and take note. Verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare and in his temple everything says glory. I take this from the monumental to the minuscule. We, we looked at all these massive earthquakes and tornadoes and thunder and lightning. He makes the deer to calve. Now the Arabic, according to my private translator, says it actually is to calve prematurely. And we've heard other words here about whirling like giving birth. So at, maybe there's more, but I'm taking it this way that God is involved in all this devastation, but he's also involved in these like these deer that walk by. I was hoping one would come by right now, but it didn't. A doe, and I'd say, God makes that deer to calf. He is so high and lifted up, yet he makes that deer to calf. To bring forth her young. He moves from the great forest to the gentle fawn. That is our God, involved in the massive and the minuscule. Again, even the word here, takav, is the same word previously, shakes. So it's surely there's a play on words, this great shaking down to an animal giving birth. He is the cause. It's not random. It's not Mother Nature. It's God Almighty. But he quickly moves back to the devastation. He strips the forest bare. He strips the forest. Divine deforestation. Divine devastation. 
You've been maybe to a forest here in Washington or elsewhere that a, uh, a fire has devastated it and all that's left are these little sticks sticking up. There's nothing left. It's been devastated. We mentioned that God is able to do that to the entire world. He lays the forest bare. He strips it bare. Then he transitions a bit from this earthly realm, if you will, to his presence. And that's how I'm taking in his temple. David wrote this before the temple was built. But the temple, and he started out speaking to angels. So wherever God is in heaven, his presence in the tabernacle, the temple, and how much more in the church, in his temple, is where his presence is. So learn in the eighth place, in the light of the Lord's might and right, let us regularly cry out glory. In light of what we've read, brothers and sisters, and all his majesty and power and his mightiness and his right, his might and his right, let us regularly cry out glory. If it's not in our vocabulary, let's get it there. Glory be to God. We sing it on Sundays. Let's say it through the week. Glory be to God. Some churches in the Protestant tradition, some say amen, some say glory. I read about the Welsh church. They had it. Who can pronounce it? Tell me later. But the the translation is glory. And in their worship service, they say glory. Do we think of God in these terms? Do we think of his might and his right and cry out glory, honor, abundance of power. Maybe you've already thought of it. In the new covenant, in this time, we have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have a greater revelation. Listen to Revelation 1. I, I had to go here. Revelation 1, or you can open it up. The vision of Jesus Christ. There's so many parallels with Psalm 29. Revelation 1, 14 through 16. Speaking of Jesus, John saw Jesus Christ and said, His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Does that represent a little bit more to you now? A flame of fire? God hews them out. This power is coming from the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just the God of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ has flames of fire, as it were, in his eyes. He has that power and majesty. 15. His feet were like burnished bronze. Powerful. Mighty. If he kicks something, it's done for. It will be smashed. That's the picture John had in his vision of Christ. Bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, red hot feet. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. God has been over the waters. God created the waters. God stirs up the waters. But John said that Jesus' voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged Sword. What do you do with a sword? You hack, you slice, you defend, you attack. The voice of the Lord, the voice of Jesus, 
is like this two-edged sword cutting in both directions. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. A very similar picture to Psalm 29 of our Lord Jesus exalted, revealing his glory. John saw something of the glory of Christ in heaven. And I read this morning in my own devotions when Stephen was being killed and he looked up and he saw the glory of God and Jesus Christ in heaven. It's not just an Old Testament or Old Covenant idea, of course. It's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we want to get a vision of the glory of God. Again, do you think of God in this way? Are you thinking of his glory right now? He is exalted. He is glorious. He is powerful from making the forest nothing to a deer giving birth. So cry out, glory. Well, he moves from locally thinking about God's power to globally. Verse 10, Psalm 29. Back to Psalm 29. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. There could be a sermon on this whole verse. He sat as king. He wasn't out working and unstopping the water plugs. He wasn't running around, exhausting himself, sweating at flooding the earth. He was sitting on his throne. He was sitting there destroying the earth except for the few souls that were saved. We saw him locally in Israel in these pictures of thunder and lightning and fire. But we see him here looking back to the great flood. God sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning, not needing to get up. And he destroyed the earth. And all the people, men, women, boys and girls... Do we know and worship the God of the flood? And one day a similar event will happen when Jesus judges the world and hell is cast into the lake of fire, a much greater flood. This is our God. The same God who sat on his throne at the flood sits on his throne forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory be to God. So what could we learn? Lesson 9. Acquiesce. Acquiesce and adore the King who sits on His throne forever. Again, it's this theme of worship. Worship the Lord. Bow to Him. Acquiesce and and adore Him. And stand amazed at Him. and, And say glory to Him. The eternal King who sat as the judge at the flood, sits on his throne, ruling and reigning forever. And he will return. Jesus Christ will return and judgment will follow. Acquiesce and adore your king, brothers and sisters. He's the king, the saddest king at the flood, and sits as king forever. Well, moving from judgment to blessing in one breath... The Bible is amazing. Just in this short psalm, he moves from the judgment of the flood to giving a blessing in one breath. Verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with 
peace. The God that we've been standing amazed at and falling down before Him and seeing that He is all glorious, He will give His own strength to help us. He will give us a blessing of peace. He has the might. He has the right. He has the power. He has the ability. What a beautiful benediction at the end of this amazing psalm. The, the one little part where it sort of comes back to, to earth, if you will, to us, and says the Lord will give this. The God of glory cursed the world by the flood and yet blesses his people with peace. What a contrast. He cursed the world by the flood and yet blesses his people with peace. He devastated the forest of Lebanon, but he brings this peace to his people. And this strength, again, the bookend, we began with ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. He gives strength to us, brothers and sisters. He's not weak. He's not impotent. We are. We are weak, but he is mighty. So lesson 10, the last place. Be assured that the Lord of glory is also the Lord of generosity. Be assured that the Lord of glory is also the Lord of generosity. He gives. He's not untouchable. Because of Christ, we, we, can, we can get through to God and we can know God. He is in heaven, yet he comes to us on earth and gives us gifts. Gifts of strength, gifts of peace. He cares for his people because of Christ. One author said that this closing of peace is like a rainbow arch over the whole psalm, which was in storm and even terror. I thought of our Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew 8. When he got into the boat, the disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, because he's God. The storm didn't scare him. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glory and strength. And listen to the voice of the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing whatever he or they please to do and find peace. This God that destroyed the earth by the flood gives strength and peace to you and me, brothers and sisters. May he encourage you and may he get all the glory and may he be the centerpiece of Pilgrim Bible Church. May we be a people that worship God. If we don't do that, we need to ex- shut down the, the rental agreement and move on to something else. We must be about the worship of God. And if what I said today has no ringing in your heart or your ears, if you know nothing of what I speak, turn from your sins, 
run to Christ, believe in him, and become a worshiper of God. That's the only way. And this is what we will do forever and forever and forever in heaven, brothers and sisters. We will worship God. Let us pray. Our great God, we stand amazed at you, that your voice is powerful, that you are all glorious, that you are full of strength, that your magnitude is stunning, that you are in wide array, revealing your glory in creation. Lord God, we praise you for what we see around us, the trees and the animals, the birds, that you Order all things. You give birth and you give death. You raise up and you destroy. You do what you will with nations, with individuals, because you are God. Father, increase our vision of yourself. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And may you make us to be a church that worships you, our God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are also God and you quiet storms that you help us and that you condescend to help us in our weakness. We repose ourselves upon you and we thank you for this opportunity. May you write this psalm on our hearts and may it be on our lips, the truths in us and through us that you would be exalted. We thank you. Amen.